Jerry, thanks very much. Um, I'm here talking to Ben Twist um, about cultural adaptations. We were meant to be having this conversation in the Mansion House in front of a public audience, but interestingly, the uh, containment phase of the coronavirus has kicked in, so we're now having this at a safe social distance um, in a, a small recording studio in Axis Ballymun. Ben, I was just saying to you earlier on, just as a way of starting off the conversation, isn't it really intriguing um, the speed and depth of the global response to the coronavirus as compared to our response over decades to climate change? Yes, and the, the thing about climate change, of course, is that it's not visible and it doesn't seem as though it's going to hit me now. Uh, and therefore it's um, taken governments and individuals a lot longer to start thinking about what it means and what needs to change. Um, but of course, one of the interesting things, and I know you've been having the same issue here in Ireland as we've been having in the UK, um, is that the impacts of climate change, the flooding, the sea level rise, and so on is beginning to impinge on our awareness now much more than it has done in the past. I was at a uh, we're having a as part of the cultural adaptations meeting that we're having at the moment here in Axis. Um, earlier today, there was a, a guy Jerry Wardell from Kadima, which is the uh, the energy agency, energy management agency mm -hmm. for the city of Dublin or in the Dublin area, actually larger Dublin area, and he was saying that the sea level rise in uh, Dublin is about seven millimeters a year, yeah. um, which is quite a lot when you think about it. Um, and there's been a lot of flooding, a lot of rain. And one of the things that affects um, arts organizations, uh, a couple of years ago in 2018, there was the Beast from mm. the East that led to the cancellation of a new music conference uh, festival in mm. Dublin, I believe. A friend of mine, Dave Fennessy, had a composition that was going to be um, performed by the RTE Orchestra, and it didn't happen, and uh, the, I think the whole festival was um, was closed. Uh, so for arts organisations as well as the rest of society, these things are beginning to happen more and more regularly, and the flooding and these mm. other things are um, becoming increasingly important to think about. So, And at the same time, uh, action on climate change is beginning to take place, still at a too slow rate mm -hmm. but it is getting faster so I think that visibility is the important thing there and one, and without wanting to minimise the uh, chaos and challenge that the coronavirus um, is bringing to so many people um, one of the perhaps the good things about it uh, the things we can mm -hmm. take from it is that it is actually perhaps a bit of a rehearsal for yes. some things we're going to have to do for climate change. So some of the changes that people are making and uh, are re re resulting in reduced carbon emissions. And mm -hmm. there are, but perhaps but more particularly, they are making us think about how we do things and what we do we need to do them this way. So there's going to be, I think, over the next couple of months, a lot more focus on video meetings, conferencing, telephone calls, mm. um, working from home and so on. And those things are similar to some of the actions that we're likely to need to take in order to avert climate change and to minimise climate change. Yeah. I mean, as you were saying to me earlier on, which was interesting, we're going to have to make a different world. 
Why not make a better one? Yes, the there's an enormous temporary, I think, probably, uh, change that's going on at the moment because of coronavirus. And that is um, an opportunity to, when we come out of it, mm-hmm. to be different rather than just go back to the way we are way we have been in the past and i think the same is true but even more so of climate change because the the change there is not temporary Mm -hmm. it's not going to be something that happens and then we can go back into the uh the 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 previous situation this change is going to be uh forever or at least for the foreseeable future and my argument there is if we're going to make a big change to society anyway let's take the opportunity to build a better society and that's i think the the thing that keeps me optimistic in working mm-hmm. in climate change is that actually there is an opportunity here to to build a better world, to build a fairer society, to build one that isn't uh, constantly pitting people against each other, isn't unequal in many ways, and is not destroying our environment um, at the, uh, the, the making economic sense at the at a cost of the environment so let's take this opportunity to uh, shift the way we do things shift the way we think about things mm-hmm. and build a, a better world just when i first and to look at the the work that you were doing i was struck by the use of the word adaptation because there seems to be a an almost brutal realism behind that word and it this ties in with the notion of the virus is very quick but climate change is very slow and almost invisible up to a tipping point and adaptation suggests that climate change is now an inevitable fact of our lives um, and that the only choice left open to us is how we adapt to the impacts of that change is that I think that's not quite right. I think when most people think about climate change, they think about carbon reduction, mm-hmm. what in the technical terms is called mitigation, yeah. the reduction of the uh, level of impact, if you like. So we reduce our carbon emissions and there will be less climate change. And I think it's really important that that still remains a top priority because we could do a lot and we could change the Uh, we could reduce the level of climate change or we can minimize the level of climate change. If we don't do anything, the impacts of climate change will be far, far worse. Mm -hmm. And it's worth remembering uh, that although the Industrial Revolution and all the coal and so on that we've burned for many generations, hundreds of years, and even the thousands of years of wood burning before that, um, all that's important. But actually more carbon emissions, more carbon has been emitted into the atmosphere since 1992, when we first knew about this, um, than before that. So it's a relatively recent ramp up in Mm. the carbon emissions. And so those, we do need to keep doing the mitigation and reduce our energy use and change our behaviours and so on, so that we're we're not emitting as much carbon and therefore the climate change will be minimised. Having said that, the climate has already changed. The climate is changing. There is a certain amount of change already, um, maybe not yet apparent, but which will happen because of the carbon emissions that we've, we've created already. So that adaptation is becoming increasingly uh, important. And for a long time, I think the, uh, the environmental world 
was a bit shy of talking about adaptation mm -hmm. because they didn't want it to uh, minimise the mitigation, the carbon reduction efforts. But actually now it's very, very clear that the uh, adaptation is a, a necessary part of it. And actually one of the important things here is there's a very strong intersection with uh, equalities and uh, how uh, climate change impacts different people in different ways. If you're wealthy, uh, if, you're, if, if you've got enough money, you can buy yourself out of some of the problems. You mm -hmm. can insure your home. You can move from a home that might be flooded to another one. Um, if there is a disaster, you can sort yourself out and put yes. yourself in a better position. If you're poor, you can't do that. If you're disabled or you have other problems in life, the chances are that you will be more affected by climate change. Women are particularly affected by climate change because they tend to be the ones who are uh, single-parent families, yes. they're poorer, they're the ones often who have the caring responsibilities mm -hmm. and so on and so on. They may be less able to uh, respond, even in the, the, the industrialised, the rich world, as well as the developing world where the, um, the women are likely to be the ones who are having to walk further to go and get the water or the wood to burn or mm -hmm. whatever it may be. So both in the rich and the poorer world, women, for example, are much more likely to be dealing with the impacts of climate change one way or another. Um, so it's adaptation and uh, equalities are very, very closely connected. You've, you've written about this, haven't you, in, in one of your blogs when you were talking about, a, uh, I think, how you defined it, uh, a white European response to the problem, where yeah. we, were, we were ignoring the impact. Yes, and um, I, I was... I was at the uh, the climate change talks in Copenhagen in uh, 2009, which are claimed to have been a terrible failure. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting there because the uh, the the reason that did fall apart a bit, although I don't think it was as much a failure as some do, um, was because the developing world was saying, actually, we need some help here. We need to know how we can continue to develop so that our people have a good life. Um, but do that in a low-carbon way. And the, the rich world was very, very focused on and uh, very focused on dealing with its, in effect, um, carbon reduction. Mm -hmm. And the, the rich world was saying, we are losing our land. Our islands are sinking under the, um, under the seas. The, the, the rivers are flooding us. Um, the, there's desertification taking place. So we need money we need help now to adapt. And adaptation back in 2009 wasn't really on the international agenda mm -hmm. in the way that it now is. And one of the interesting things that happened at the Paris conference in 2015 and is going to be very important at the, the climate change talks in Glasgow uh, in November of this year, uh, 2020, is that uh, adaptation now plays a much larger part in it. And there's much more acceptance and acknowledgement that adaptation across the world is an important part of the project, as well as carbon reduction. And uh, I think that is one of the results, actually, of that supposedly failed uh, climate change talks in Copenhagen in 2009. Now it really is on the agenda. So there's been a big shift in the last 10 years. I, I, I was watching a, quite a bleak documentary last night. Um, I just happened on it and they, they were touching on some of the points that you're touching on here and they were using um, uh, Bangladesh as is it Bangladesh? as a, uh, a case in point uh, massive population hugely or will be hugely impacted by sea level um, rises uh, 
Pakistan has built uh, a wall around the entire country unilaterally. Um, and once the, the, uh, the sea level starts to rise because of temperature increases, that will push a huge population movement, but at the same time will affect the, uh, the freshwater flows into the territories around the country, yeah. which will provoke various geopolitical actions as each tries to commandeer the water. And what struck me was that the documentary grasped that um, climate change in itself and in its ramifications is a massively complex system. Which made me think about the idea of adaptation because there's the possibility that no sooner have you adapted to one thing than your adaptation itself becomes part of the complex system. Absolutely. Do you know? <laughs> and you, you enter a phase of almost rolling adaptation. Well, there's a couple of things there. It might be worth just picking up on the equalities thing because, yeah. of course, the other country that faces similar problems to Bangladesh, very low-lying, yeah. large population, um, risk of flooding, is the Netherlands. Yeah. And the Netherlands, of course, has got the money to build the walls, to pump the water, maybe to lose some land and say, mm. right, that will go. And um, it's got the money to buy itself out. So there's a, there's a national uh, inequality between Bangladesh, which uh, 150 million people may be flooded and lose their livelihood and their land, mm -hmm. um, whilst in, uh, in the Netherlands they manage that um, problem because they can, they can in effect spend the money to, to deal with it. Um, but you're right, and I think the, the thing about adaptation perhaps is not so much to think of it as I've got to adapt to this problem, this situation, I've got to overcome problem X, I've got to deal with the flooding. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it's probably about communities, and it does come down to individual communities and quite local. Adaptation is quite a local thing. It, right. it might be different here where we are in Ballymun to how it is in the centre of Dublin or the south of Dublin because mm -hmm. there are slight differences in the geography. Somewhere will be low-lying, some will be, won't be, will be affected by floods. Somewhere um, it may be more that it's more built up and therefore mm -hmm. they've got, um, they got, it gets very hot in the summers or something like that. Um, so it's actually probably about communities becoming more resilient and more able to deal with a number of problems that come their way. And, um, and also if you're a, as you say, it, you become part of the complex, you're always part of the complex mm. system. So if that community, if that local area, that bit of local government or whatever is actually agile and clever and thinking about things, they will be not only responding to the environment, but they'll mm. be creating the environment as it changes. So they'll be, they'll be making sure that things are, uh, are, are right, but, but also they'll be thinking ahead and planning for and maybe changing the environment. So when it comes to adaptation, for example, in a physical sense, one of the things that uh, we particularly have to deal with in cities is large built-up areas get very hot. All yeah. the stone and the concrete and so on gets very hot. Um, and paving over uh, soil mm -hmm. um, leads to more flooding. So that actually if you become a, a community that is much more aware of these things and you start building in uh, natural uh, solutions to this, so you've got more uh, green areas, you've got more trees and what have you, that has all sorts of benefits in the rest of society and biodiversity and whatever, you're also physically changing the environment so it's less likely to need some of the 
the solutions that you, you might otherwise need. So you're not going to have as much flooding. It's not going to get as hot. There will be places to sit under trees on a very hot day and so on. So you're sort of knowingly becoming part of the complex system rather than pretending, I think, that humanity is outside of the complex system. I want to come back to something that's been sort of emerged as a bit of a theme, I think. And this is the notion of, uh, I suppose, the community action. Uh, that probably the most effective uh, cultural strategies work or adaptation strategies work when they're closely um, embedded within a community. Even the idea of an embedded artist is embedding an artist in the community of an organisation and the idea that, that, that mitigation strategies need to be championed at a community local level. Because we were just mentioning earlier on about the, uh, for example, Boris Johnson's latest budget which is a further step in taking real political power as well as financial power away from local authorities and centralising it in London. We've got a highly centralised government system here um, so that local authorities and local action tends to be relatively under-resourced uh, compared to our, our European partners. Is that a problem and how do we address that problem of the unequal distribution of power? One of the things I've always thought about theatres uh, is that they are community-building machines. That actually one of the things about going to the theatre is that you, you sit for a couple of hours with lots of other people sharing an experience. And my job as a director was to ensure that everybody in the audience saw what was going on at the same time so that if there's a gag, if there's mm -hmm. a laugh, then what you don't want is half the audience seeing it and half the audience not um, because then half the audience laughs and the others go well why are they laughing what happened mm -hmm. there so your job as a director is to help people through the story make sure that everybody is moving at the same time because you you emote you you feel you cry you laugh together much more strongly when a thousand of you are laughing or crying together than if you're doing it on your own so I think there is something very important about cultural institutions and the act of, of arts activity that is about building communities and strengthening communities. And in Scotland, the, the pantomime, the Christmas show, is a very strong tradition in a quite an old-fashioned way. Mm. And it's often struck me that in Edinburgh, for example, there are two or three main theatres where there is a Christmas show. And probably every child in the city goes to one of those shows every year um, during their school life. And for a long time, it was the same man who was writing quite a lot of these plays. <laughs> uh, it did strike me that everybody had been through the Stuart Patterson experience. And, and they were very powerful plays based on fairy tales and what have you, that uh, we'd all been educated in the same way, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, something that we could all take to our later experiences. And there's something very strong about that. There's some going through something together is very valuable. And one thing I've often thought about more recent years, what I've been thinking about theatres particularly, but also galleries and concert halls and what have you. There aren't many spaces in society, in the community today, mm. which are geared up to and aimed at thinking together. And if you think about a, a theatre, it's a space, it's a, it's a mm. building that says, come here together and share an experience for a couple of hours. Mm. Then they say, right, we're going to do that together at 7.30 on a Tuesday. So I'm asking you to set aside your time to come and think together. And people do. And the institution has been there enabling 100, 500, 1,000 people to mm. 
to sit or stand and think together about the same material for a period of time in a way that doesn't happen in any other part of society. And this is what it, where it comes back to climate change, because adaptation is so local. Yes, it's it's different for it's different for Ballymun mm. to Fibsborough to the South Side. Um, it'll be different in every place, and actually, each community needs to be part of it because otherwise, it won't work. And uh, so there's a there is both a need mm. um, to 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 make it local. But also, I think some of these organizations, these institutions can be the, the ones that enable those communities to, to come together and be strong enough. And indeed, the great thing about somewhere like Axis or uh, any other mm. theater or art center of any sort is that um, you can always put all the chairs out. And instead of having a play on the stage, you can have a public meeting about the environmental plan, about yes. the adaptation. You can It's a place to come. You can put an exhibition up and say, these are the plans. What do you think about it? It's... Mm. Um, these are places of of gathering and discussion and community. And I think that's a really strong role that they can play. So whilst perhaps the first thing, if you like, mm. that a, an arts organisation should do is, is add climate change to its risk register, mm. the second thing they should do is think, actually, how can we play a role in this that is not just about us, but is about our community? To go back to the the embedding of the artist... There is an assumption that the artist brings a particular uh, perspective or uh, process or set of values to the table that are not already present. Is that correct? I wouldn't necessarily a set of values. Mm -hmm. um, I think probably a process and I would say a set of skills and experience and knowledge. Um, one of the things about artists' training, for example, mm -hmm. is that at both drama school or music college or art school or whatever, um, originality is prized and breaking the rules is perhaps particularly important because you, you don't get anywhere by as an artist just by doing what somebody else has already done. Mm -hmm. If you're a trainee engineer and you break the rules and you don't do what other people have already done, your concrete beam may not hold up the building. And so it's quite problematic. So there's something very interesting, I think, that artists can do, which is bring that different set of skills, which are equivalent, uh, but just different, to the table and say, well, sometimes perhaps we do need to break the rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they're also good artists, the right artists. I don't think this is for all artists. Um, are often very experienced at doing this. They do it all their, 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 during their working lives. They may also have particular experience in engaging publics in different ways, mm -hmm. so they're good at working with different people and so on. Um, they, they therefore bring their set of skills and knowledge, but also sometimes their contacts. So one of the projects that we're doing in Glasgow is uh, that the, the, the board of the organization that we're working with is quite a traditional local authority mm -hmm. sort of board. It's, it meets for a couple of hours every couple of months or something like that. There's not much time for discussion or for bringing yourself to the table as a member. It's more that you're bringing your organization to the table and you're saying, we've got a bit of budget for that or we can't mm -hmm. do that or whatever. And one of the things that uh, the artist we're working with there is doing is that she, She's saying, right, we're going to take the board meeting out of the normal room. Um, we're going to go to a, 
a, a building, an arts building, that has an enormous window overlooking the River Clyde. Mm-hmm. And the, the project in um, Glasgow City Region is looking at the whole of the Clyde Basin as an area that needs to adapt, which is one third of Scotland's population. It's a, it's a big area and a big and important population area. Um, and it's all centred around the Clyde, the, mm. the River Clyde, which is a big river, but in many ways is forgotten. Mm. So Leslie Ann is saying, well, let's, let's go to a place and have our board meeting where we're looking at the Clyde and maybe we'll go for a walk along the Clyde mm. and just remind ourselves what we're dealing with here and who, who we are and what we're for. But also one of the people she's bringing in is a voice coach, somebody who works with actors and singers and, mm-hmm. and others to connect people more to their own voice and, the, and how, they, uh, how they emote and how mm-hmm. they feel and let that come out through their voice. So that these people who are around the table, perhaps simply being a, dare I say it, a, not a faceless bureaucrat, but somebody who's in their work clothes and they're representing their organisation, they perhaps need to take more personal responsibility and commitment to this mm. project. And so using that very unusual technique for a, a board meeting in mm. that sort of uh, group, um, bringing in a contact that that board otherwise wouldn't know about and a way of working that the mm. technique that, that board otherwise wouldn't know about and saying, well, let's just try this for an hour instead and see if this makes us think in different ways and perhaps behave in different ways as a group. I think artists can bring a whole series of different things in. Yes, there are ways of working and ways of thinking, but there may also just be a long history of experience about Mm. working with people in a different way. Uh, And there may be just some better different contacts that uh, other people wouldn't wouldn't have. I suppose the idea of of how much of yourself you bring into the room uh, that is unique to the artist, Uh, the focus, the the risk-taking, the vulnerability um, and the willingness to, I suppose, personally fail yeah. and learn from that and move on. I think, I, think, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the things perhaps that a bit like the director uh, needing to, to take those risks themselves yeah. in the room, um, maybe Leslie Ann in the board meeting with that organisation needs to be the one who leads that yes. and... and enables the others and encourages the others to do that. And I think mm. that's possibly one of the things that we we need that board to do is to commit. Yes, yeah. Um, to commit, or in my language, to bring all of themselves to yes, work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. which, which is also part of the, the complex system you were talking about earlier. If I bring all of myself to work, then I, I understand the connections between me, the task, the other people in the room, um, because I'm I'm now part of the whole thing. Yes, so I'm not gonna. I don't want to claim that artists have have all the answers. No. And um, dare I say, there are some artists who uh, perhaps commit in a different way. Mm. And the reason I said earlier it's not for all artists mm. is because I think artists do work in different ways. And when we advertised, we had an open call for the mm. uh, the role for the. Um, the Scottish embedded artist. And I would say about half of the 50-odd applications that we received were from artists who were absolutely absolutely committed to their work but weren't actually committed to the project that we were doing. Mm -hmm. 
And they said, I'm going to come and do this. And this was broadly what they were already doing. And they just saw, they saw it a residency where they would go and do it in, in a slightly different setting. And we said, no, we're not interested in that. Actually, what we want for this project is artists who will, in a way, give themselves to this project mm -hmm. and will find interesting and challenging and uh, extraordinary things to do within this project that feeds them as well as the project. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame on those other artists mm -hmm. um, for not wanting to do that. And that's why I say this is for some artists. And they're not better or worse artists, they're just different artists who will say, yes, actually... I can understand that this is how I want to work, which is as much about my way of working as making the work that I make. Yes. And there's a difference there, I think. But the, that also works in reverse, doesn't it? And we mentioned this. Not only is it not for all artists, it's not for all organisations. No. And I think one of the important things here is that the uh, the organisation, the, 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 if you like, taking the embedded artist... Um, Certainly there needs to be somebody within it, some champion within it mm -hmm. who really wants this to work mm -hmm. and who understands the potential and the potential risk and the difficulties that it might bring. Uh, and so it, there is somebody who is, if you like, a friend and mm -hmm. uh, uh, an opening, a, a way mm -hmm. into that organisation. It probably needs to be somebody reasonably senior yes. who will... Um, make sure that their seat at the table is is listened to, or that their voices their voices listened to, or they they have a seat at the right table, and so on, so that they they've got access to the right um, resources within the organisation, and they can enable that change to happen. Because I think quite often this is a a period of transition when this is useful, that an organisation is maybe taking on a new challenge, or is moving on to a larger scale, or maybe wants to change in some way. Um, in which it's at that, those times that this uh, embedded artist can can help to can can help make that transition, can ease the transition, and maybe can provide some direction of the transition. Things that other people couldn't see, uh, the artist can maybe see a, a different route to. Could you talk me through the embedded artist projects that are currently in play, and I suppose what they are and what the learnings have been from them. Today, I'll do my, I'll do my best because okay. they're they're sort of midway. Yeah. Um. And if you're listening to this in a year's time, there will be a lot more yeah. uh, uh, a lot more information in our toolkit. Um. I've spoken a little bit about Glasgow City Region, where uh, Leslie Ann is working with the board, and the the board of the organisation is, as I say, it's it's it is actually transitioning from writing a fairly straightforward and standard adaptation strategy which is incremental lots mm -hmm. of small changes which will get us through the next five years mm -hmm. and instead it's decided that it wants to move to what you might call a transformational adaptation strategy so over the next 20 years there will be enormous changes mm -hmm. and a lot of investment to really make the Glasgow city region uh, not only zero carbon, which is the mitigation side of things, but also absolutely adapted and mm -hmm. adaptable and adapting to what climate change is going to throw yeah. at it. Um, and that's of enormous financial cost and enormous changes to society and the way that infrastructure is planned and built and what have you. Um, so I think the board there has to take lots of risks mm -hmm. and needs to move from a, a fairly straightforward way of doing things to a, 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 a transformational way. So what 
Leslie Ann is doing with them is is I think helping them take the first steps towards not necessarily working with all the other people that need to be worked with, but actually saying to that, enabling that board to say, we need to work with other people, we need to bring in different skills, we need to start thinking in a different way. Um, In Gothenburg, uh, the artists there worked on, I think, a more contained project. Um, Gothenburg uh, thinks it's a very rainy city. I don't think they know how rainy Glasgow is, and (laughs) I don't know about Dublin. Um, Quite rainy. uh, but uh, they have decided that they want to be the city that um, uh, is a good place when it rains. Um, and they've been working, the, the artist there has been working with a, a housing association, social housing builder, mm-hmm. um, on, uh, in effect, uh, a way of changing and uh, ensuring that a, a housing development uh, is not only managing the rain, there um, so that it doesn't flood and so on but actually uh, get some benefits from the rain so in effect there's a rain garden which is quite a, a common idea in nature-based solutions to um, to flooding where uh, you've got an area that takes the water when it rains a lot and becomes a pond and a pool and somewhere that's good for birds and maybe somewhere that's good to sit um, uh, even while it rains um, and takes a, takes soaks up the water for a while um, and then holds it and releases it slowly rather than the area flooding. And that's quite a common uh, way of doing things. But what uh, Ulrika, the artist there, has been doing is working with the developers in quite an unusual way and with um, some of the potential residents and developing that rain garden in a, um, in a I think, a, a less... Uh, architectural and planner way and mm. more engaging the public and engaging the aesthetics there. That's quite a, in a way, quite a straightforward project mm. as not that unusual for an artist to work on. Um, in in Ghent, um, the, the, uh, the issue there is a lot about it getting very warm in the summers mm. because it's, a, it's what we call an urban heat island. It's very built up. It's yeah. a medieval or an old city. Um, and uh, there, interestingly, I'm not quite sure I can say what the what the outcome of this will be, but the the artist uh, Anuta has been really finding all sorts of people within the city council to work with and to go to meetings and just throw ideas in and so on. And they've kept it very very open. And we were discussing this morning whether perhaps it's too open. There's no no end point to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas with Leslie Ann in Glasgow, there's been it's been very open and it's just attending meetings and what have you. But now there's a couple of workshops, a couple mm-hmm. of board meetings that are, are the result, if you like. In Ghent at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any result, which I'm not worried about. I think probably the result is in small changes in different mm-hmm. people's minds um, throughout the city council. But it's mm-hmm. perhaps hard to pinpoint there. Yes. Um, and I think in Dublin, it, it's as yet less defined. Maeve started a bit later than the other uh, embedded artists and um, she's been working a lot on the uh, what do you I suppose you might call to some extent public engagement and how there's often a lot of public engagement through schools mm-hmm. and so on around adaptation and environmental mm-hmm. things because they're a captive audience and um, they it's quite easy to get to and and so on but actually there's uh, Maeve thinks there's a lot of knowledge about the past way of dealing with things in older members of society who are not often connected up with those younger people on this subject. Um, And so she's interested at the moment in making some connections with those two. Um, But I I have to say, I don't think it's quite clear, um, and this came up this morning, 
how that is working into the adaptation plans that Kodima is producing with the City Council. And I think that's something that they're keen to mm. um, develop a bit more strongly there. So that one, I think, is still developing and there is still time for it to develop. And one of the things that we've learned is that mm. these do take time. They're not quick projects. Yeah, I was, I was going to say to you that, that there is a danger that we uh, we fall into engineering planning mode. Yep. Whereas, like the, of the of the four projects you've described there, three of them are about what I would call viral change, planting ideas in yep. different people. Yeah. Um, and that takes time for those ideas to be processed. Yes, and I think one of the key things is that there is no obvious artistic output. There's no sculpture. There's no mural. There's no play. There's no mm. event necessarily. That might come, but it's not the aim of the project. It is more um, infecting. Yeah. non-cultural institutions with cultural practices and ideas and ways of working. If we move on to the other side of the work that you do, which is working with cultural organisations to help them adapt to the changes. Um, and I think one of the phrases in one of the documentations is uh, perhaps develop new business models. Can you speak a little about that work and what, what that involves? The, yes, the, the new business models actually might be, um, but it's, right. I'd, I'd say perhaps organisational models. Yes. Um, I think it, it's relatively unusual for arts organisations to, to think that they have a role to play in mm -hmm. these adaptation projects. And yet both arts organisations and individual artists, we think, and we're seeking to prove that, if you like, with these projects, do have a role to play in these adaptation projects. And adaptation is uh, it's about the people, it's about the ways in which we live in the world as much about, as about flood control walls or um, the way you take paving out of uh, old cities or whatever. So cultural organisations can have a role to play and they may be able to find new streams of income and new roles to play in society by taking part in these projects which are going to come become more and more important and, and relevant. I think there's a financial sustainability thing there that um, the, certainly the, the EU is interested in when it comes to these projects. But for me also, I've never been terribly interested in running an arts organisation that simply wants to produce art. Mm. I've always been more interested in being part of arts organisations and running them that are playing a full role in society. And one of the things that we at Creative Carbon Scotland, our aim in, in the world, is to ensure that the role of culture in the transition to a sustainable Scotland is fully recognised and implemented, acted upon, by both the cultural sector and the non-cultural sector. And so one of my aims, I suppose, is to... Uh, say to cultural organisations, look, you can become even more important to society, not just by putting on a great play, but also uh, helping your community become adaptive, resilient and, and strong and influence the, the future in the way that you want it to. One of the things that they can do is they can add climate change to their risk register and say, well, are we going to get flooded? Is our building wind and water tight? Uh, are we touring in January to the wilds of Scotland or uh, the west of Ireland or something when there's likely to be bad weather and we might lose performances and therefore lose money. But also we can think about what is the function of our organisation, what is the role that we can play in society. So we can do those rather straightforward things, plan our ways of working better or 
make sure that our um, we've got insurance for lost mm. performances. Um, but we can also say, are there ways in which we can use the work we make to uh, to help society think about its future and how it wants it to be, and to uh, to build towards that strong, adaptive, resilient community that we want to be part of. Two, two questions. One is, does, does Creative Carbon Scotland work with cultural organisations in a kind of consultancy way, where they're advisors to them on their risks, uh, their business model, um, their uh, mitigation strategies? Is, is yes, we do that. And um, we're, we started off working on mitigation, on carbon mm -hmm. reduction, because that's where most of us started, actually. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, we're working with them on adaptation as well. So, yes, we're providing advice and part of the cultural adaptations project will be um, some guides and tools for mm -hmm. uh, cultural organisations to do that, to, to make themselves stronger. If there was one solid piece of advice you would give to every single organisation, what, what's their first step? In a rather banal way, I would say, what are your risks and what are your opportunities? So do that where are you worried? Is it flooding? Who has the key to the building? Because if they, uh, if you get a bad snowstorm like the beast uh -huh. from the east and the person who opens up um, lives in a, on a road which gets snowed up every time, then even if the rest of you are all ready to go and the audience is waiting, mm -hmm. um, but the, the person with the key can't get there, then, um, you know, sort that out. Can you describe what you believe specifically? the business model change needs to be and are there real opportunities in a business sense for me the business model change is you're not just here to make art there's a whole series of other things that you can do and one of them is get involved in climate change and use your skills mm -hmm. because otherwise those skills are not going to be called upon mm -hmm. um, if you're not making them available then the, the engineers and the accountants and the technologists sitting around the table, and they perhaps won't know that there are people out there with another set of skills that could also be useful. There's an opportunity there for, I would say, every cultural organisation, because cultural organisations are social organisations mm -hmm. as well. There's an opportunity there for them to, to take part and, and play, a, play a role and to earn money from it. Not just to earn money, a fee for being involved, but also... In a time of decreasing funding and mm -hmm. tighter times, essential organisations, the ones that society feels are essential, are the ones that will survive. There are opportunities there, I think, and there are ways to earn money, mm -hmm. but I think there are also ways just to make sure that you're essential to your society and therefore the people want you. Ben, this has been a really interesting conversation, and it, for me, uh, I'd love to conclude with one last question, which is... Can you describe for me what your personal journey has been from practising artist to climate champion? <laughs> um, I mean, in banal terms, I was a theatre director from... I, I first earned money in the theatre um, putting up Druid Theatre's set at the Edinburgh Fringe, actually. Um, they were doing a production of uh, Playboy of the Western World at the I Bedlam Theatre um, in uh, 1983 or something. And um, I, I was at the University Theatre Company in Edinburgh and um, I helped them build their set. Um, Jerome Hines paid me the money. Um, 
And that kept me going until 2008. I was a theatre director. But all that time, actually, I was always interested in theatre that wasn't just making shows. It was always There was always some element of my work that was working with young people or working in uh, community-based settings or whatever it may be. Um, I did the other stuff as well. I directed um, music theatre and opera and uh, shows that were just shows. And I was, did a lot of comedy, actually, as it were, which, um, as, as it happens, which um, was one of my one of my great loves. Um, but I always liked audiences. Um, and then 2008, uh, various things in my domestic life and professional life. Um, I suddenly thought, actually, I'm not quite sure what I can do anymore with this, being a freelance theatre director. I spent quite a long time distributing national lottery funds uh, for the Scottish Arts Council. Um, so I'd done quite a lot of strategic work and I run theatres and I, I knew how to run buildings and run organisations and I'd been on the boards of various things. Um, so I was working at quite a national scale on that strategic side, whereas perhaps not as a theatre director. And suddenly I looked at my future age 46 um, thinking well do I want to be just directing plays for the rest of my life for another 25 years I don't have a pension um, <laughs> and I thought no I'm not sure I do and there was a there was a period when I did a few other things for about a year and then there was a I'd always been interested in green stuff environmental sustainability and um, there was a very early course at the University of Edinburgh which was a MSc in carbon management and I said that's what I want to do and the addiction to being a theatre director left me like that I suddenly thought I'm sufficiently interested in this I'd never found before anything else that was as interesting and challenging and stimulating and enjoyable and fun as directing plays but at that point I thought yep I'd like to do that and the addiction left me. And uh, interestingly, uh, I th that course was the science, the policy and business and the economics of climate change. Right. I didn't know anything about any of them. Well, I did know a fair bit about science one way or another. But um, I got the top mark in the business and policy because I'd been running companies from right. the age of 23 upwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Mm. The, the, the arty one on the course was uh, <laughs> um, the one who actually knew how to run a business. Mm -hmm. um, and I enjoyed going back to university. I ended up doing a PhD on the role of how one brings about changes in complex social systems in society mm. to bring about different ways of being. And at the same time, I um, around that time, I set up Creative Carbon Scotland, um, because the arts were saying, Ben, we need somebody who knows about climate change to work with us mm -hmm. in with the Edinburgh festivals and Scottish theatre and the visual arts in Scotland. And I was dragged slightly reluctantly back into the arts um, to work on climate change. And interestingly, now I think Creative Carbon Scotland is perhaps more an environmental organisation that works through the arts rather than a cultural organisation that works on the environment. Ben, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you.